Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here. Do you guys know what time it is? It's Christmas time! Yes! Yes! Here's what I can tell you. No matter what 2020s look like for you, you cannot be excited that you cannot not be excited that it's Christmas time. This is, there is no question, this is the best time of the year, and if you disagree, you're wrong. And so, I'm glad you're here, and Jesus loves you, and you know, you probably root for the beavers as well, but you're wrong. And so, I mean, both of them are abysmal, painful things to watch this year. But we, we 2020 is not going to stop. Uh, our celebration of Christmas. We're starting this week with a series that uh, we're calling Christmas Playlist. We're going to be looking at some carols throughout um, uh, this this month of some of our most famous, well-known carols. But we're also going to be having Xmas at MCC. Now, if you are going to join us in person, you can join us for one of the five services. We're We're pretty limited in space, and so we're going to be having five services on December 23rd and 24th. But if you aren't available or not comfortable joining us in person, you can join us December 24th at 7 p.m. online. Now, if you don't know this about us, if you haven't been around uh, for Christmas before, I adamantly believe that of all the people in the world that we should be the most reckless in our celebration of Christmas. We of all people understand the depths of our celebration that God himself became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the foundation, the starting point of the gospel is that God came and dwelt among us and so we do it big. We go crazy, we have fun, ridiculous stuff and hopefully really meaningful and powerful stuff and I hope that you'll plan Uh, December 23rd. Uh, you can learn all kinds of other stuff at Xmas. Blood pressure went up a little bit when you saw this big old thing that said Xmas and you panicked on the website about why we do. Anyways, I'll make you go click on That's what we call clickbait right there. Um, also, a couple weeks ago, we encouraged you to join us to set a reminder in your phone every night at 8.20 p.m. to pray. And he, here's why. Because in military time, 8.20 is 2020. And in the video, what I said was that we didn't want to let this year kind of just slide back into whatever dark hole it came climbing out of, that we wanted to Leaning forward into 2021, right? And so I think one of the things that I said was that we were going to, through prayer, uh, throat punch uh, 2020. And we, we had a staff meeting, we had a uh, discussion, and we decided that a really great way to help you understand what we think, why we think this is so important is to have Aaron dress up with a shirt that says 2020 and come out here, and I'm going to demonstrate what it looks like to throat punch someone, uh, just so you understand. So Aaron, if you can come out here. I'm kidding. We're not, wouldn't that be awesome, though? You'd be like, that was the craziest church service I've ever been in my life. Uh, anyways, um, we're glad you're here. And we are looking today at uh, the carol you saw in the, in the bumper video, uh, Oh Holy Night. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, all of these Christmas carols have a bit of a weird origin story. Uh, I would say, though, that Oh Holy Night may be the oddest 
for a couple sets of reasons. Um, o Holy Night was written in the mid-19th century, and it was written because a French local priest, a parish priest, um, asked a local poet by the name of Placide Capot if he would write a poem for their Christmas Eve service. If you've ever been around or grew up in a Catholic church, you understand that Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve is a big deal. And they, not only was it Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve that he was writing this poem for, but they'd also just had their organ rebuilt and repaired, and the Christmas Eve service was going to be the big unveiling of it. And in the 19th century, organs were a really big centerpiece of the church. And so he asked Placide Capote to write a poem based on Luke 2. He, he Here's the interesting thing about it. Placide Capot was not Catholic. In fact, Placide Capot was far from it. Placide Capot was actually a pretty outspoken atheist, and um, he was a, a wine merchant, which may not sound dramatic to you, but in the mid-19th century, it was not the most reputable industry. And uh, on top of that, he was quite a um, rabble-rouser in town. He, he, was, he, was, he spent abundantly more time in bars and with women of ill repute than he did anywhere else, right? He was not the kind of person that you would have modeling what it meant to look like following Jesus, and yet the parish priest knew this thing. He knew that Placide Capot was a great poet, so Placide sat down and he wrote this poem, and then Placide actually loved it so much, he asked one of his bar buddies, who also was not uh, uh, a Christian, he asked one of his bar buddies to put to music, and that's where we was birthed this song, O Holy Night. And it spread across Europe just like crazy, right? It just whipped across Europe. People loved it. It was an instant classic. It became a staple of the Christmas celebration. And it was nearly a decade later that the Catholic Church realized the origin story of this, of this, um, of this song. And they tried to ban it, but it became so popular they couldn't stop it. And forever, since then, the last 150, almost 200 years now, it has become a staple of our Christmas celebration, O Holy Night. But that's not the only actually significant part of the history of this song is um, in 1906, about 50 years after its writing, there was a French-Canadian professor. His name was Reginald Fessenden. Isn't that a good name, right? Reginald Fessenden. And he was a Canadian professor, and he did what many thought was impossible. He made a generator in his garage, and he hooked this microphone thing up, and he set this whole thing up, and he had the first ever AM broadcast on Christmas Eve in 1906. Now, what do you broadcast on Christmas Eve on 1906 but these words? This is what he read, the first words read over an AM broadcast. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. He went on and read Luke 2 and the story of Christmas. And then when he was done, he didn't have like any ads or commercials or promotions to go to. It was the first broadcast. So he picked up a song that came to his mind, which was O Holy Night. So the first song ever broadcast on AM radio was this song, O Holy Night, that commemorates the night that Jesus was born. Now, for a lot of us, the thing that most commemorates the night that Jesus was born uh, is a nativity. 
You may have a nativity somewhere around your house, maybe on a kitchen table or on a fireplace or, or um, uh, on a countertop somewhere. And, 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 and it may be really, a really important nativity to you because maybe it, it's so, you know, it's one of those that's been passed down to the family or it's just like a beautiful one. I didn't get a picture of it, but I don't know if you've seen the hipster um, nativity. Uh, it's, it's beautiful in its own glorious way. It's, it's, the hipster nativity is everything that we love about Portland contained in one picture. It's amazing. And so um, anyways, now that everybody online has logged off so they can go Google the hipster nativity, um, but, but as beautiful as many of these are, and as a centerpiece of us understanding what's going on the night that Jesus is born, a lot of them have really actually done a far bigger disservice to us understanding the moment that's going on this night that this song is about, this oh holy night. You see, I mean, just to begin with, like, what's happening in this moment is a teenage girl who's become pregnant because of the Holy Spirit is in what most theologians believe, most historians believe, to be not much more than a cave carved out in a hillside to protect cattle in, 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 um, in, a, in, in the case of a storm. Not, not this kind of um, thatched roof thing with a star shining through, lighting just perfectly onto the manger. Not that, but a place of animals and dirt and nasty and hay and straw and things that come with animals and, and the cattle are lowing, whatever that means. But a woman giving birth, a teenage girl giving birth with no epidural. After, get this, no epidural. After having ridden a donkey 80 to 120 miles. Now, I don't know if you know this. It may not look like it, but I've never been pregnant. But I can guess that 80 to 120 miles on a donkey while you're pregnant is not pleasant. Right? My wife, when she gave birth to our second, to Luke, uh, we, were, we were young and dumb, and we were more concerned with where our vehicles ended up than the fact that she was giving birth to our child. And so while she's in labor, she drove herself to the hospital while I just followed her in a different vehicle just to make, make sure that we had enough vehicles when we got to the hospital. So she's driving down 22 in full labor, right? Just driving down and driving. Right? I can assure you that as unpleasant as it was, it was more pleasant than riding a donkey nine months pregnant for 100 miles, right? And this is the picture. This teenage girl screaming her brains out, no epidurals in a dark, dirty, damp cave. And this is the night that Jesus, the Son of God, is born. Now, the, the song, O Holy Night, that commemorates this moment represented in Luke 2, uh, it, 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 we're going to take a look at actually just one phrase, one stanza of the song, um, which is what we're going to do every time. As we look at these carols, we're going to take a little snippet. And my hope is that when you sing these songs, whether the rest of this Christmas season or in Christmas seasons to come, that um, instead of just singing it out of tradition and instead of just singing it because you know the words or it's a uh, you know carol we all sing along, that it would actually, that when you come to this part, that something would remind you in your mind, your heart, that you'd actually be able to engage in a little bit of worship and the hope and the truth that's declared in these songs. And so this 
this phrase that we're going to look at. You know it because uh, you know the song. It says this in the midst of the song. It says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Now, uh, let me just ask you, if there was any phrase that could better describe the world we live in, I don't know what it would be than right here, this phrase right here, the weary world. I, I don't know what 2020s look like for you, but I got a pretty good idea. And there was a time, uh, almost a year ago, where we all stood on Christmas Eve and were like, Woo! 2020! Yeah, it's going to be amazing! It's going to be historic! And now, we all wish we could take those words back. Because the historic 2020 year we've had is not the one that we'd hoped for. We're going to be this year, December 31st. Woo! It's over! I don't care what's next, but it's over! Right? And maybe, maybe, maybe not just this world, but maybe for you, the best words that could describe the world you live in, in your heart and your soul, are these words right here, the weary world. But you see, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of a teenage girl giving birth in a cave with no epidural, giving birth in a cave in the silence and anonymity of a small town nobody cared about, in an exhausted and broken world, in the midst of, of all of this, there is this line there is this thread through the song that there's hope and that even in the midst of a weary and exhausted world, we can rejoice. So today, I want to hopefully encourage you in the midst of all the weariness that you're experiencing, all the exhaustion, the bitterness, the anger, the frustration, the disappointment, the loss, in the midst of all of those things, that we might see the hope and then we might rejoice in the midst of all of it. And we're going to do that by looking at a little bit of an unexpected place. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll have the verses for you. But we're going to look at Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3. Now, Lamentations was likely written by a prophet named Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was not exactly the kind of person you invited to your parties to be the life of the party. Jeremiah's nickname is Jeremiah the Weeping Prophet. Right? He was kind of a killjoy when he entered the room, to be honest, but for a lot of very reasonable reasons. Because you see, when Lamentations was written, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem had fallen and the Israelites had been carried away into captivity. Now, Jerusalem falling might sound like a slightly big deal to you, but you have to understand, for them, it was a lot of things. It was their national capital. It was the center of the politics of their nation. It was the last stronghold of the nation of Israel was crushed and carried away, right? So their nation fell, but it was more than that. It was, it was the center of their identity. What it meant to be a Jew was to be a person of the city on the hill, of Jerusalem. This was the center of their idea. But it was even more than that. It was the center of their faith. It was where the temple was. So, so their faith and their identity and their nation were all wrapped up in this one city. And the city was crushed and the people of the city were carried away. 
And Jeremiah is a witness to all this, and he writes the book of Lamentations, or literally the book of lamenting, or maybe more accurately, the book of whining, because that, that's sure what it seems like he does a lot of. But here's a, here, this is for free. This isn't, this isn't what the sermon's about. But here, here's the beautiful thing about our God. Our God's big enough and good enough and strong enough and sovereign enough that he included in his holy scripture the book of his prophet mourning. He's not afraid of your tears or your brokenness or your questions. Like the first two and a half chapters of Lamentations are just like complaining about all the things that had happened. But our God's big enough to hear those things and handle those things. And so something happens in the middle of Lamentations 3 where a shift happens. But I want to begin with Lamentations 3 verse 20 because this is kind of where he wraps up his, his, his first wave of whining. He says this, I will remember them. Now this here, this is really important. This is super, don't, when we talk about hope and rejoicing, don't miss, this is why I want to include Lamentations 3.20, don't miss this that's happening right here. I will remember, what he's saying is, I'm not going to forget, and I'm not going to ignore all the brokenness, and all the pain, and all the heartache that's happened. You see, having hope and rejoicing in Jesus as a follower of Jesus doesn't mean walking around this world and going, nah, 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 I can't see any of it. The the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, everything's good. It's, It's not ignoring. It's not ignoring. Jeremiah, eyes wide open, sees the anguish and the brokenness of the world that we live in. And it crushes his soul. I mean, look at this. And my soul is downcast, is crushed, is laid bare, is flat within me. But he doesn't stop there. He says, yet, yet, in the midst of all the brokenness of this world, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of we are not consumed for his compassions Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, now, there's this really important verse uh, right up here. Here we go, verse 21. It says this, yet this I call to mind. Here's, here's, here's a first really important thing that you need to know about hope and rejoicing in the midst of the weary world. Is Look what he says, yet this I call to mind. Did you, we, we are forgetful people. We are forgetful people. Uh, Jeremiah knows it. We're going to talk about other writers who know it, is that there are things that we knew going into 2020, and maybe in this moment, you still know these things in your mind, and yet Jeremiah says that he's going to purposely grab this thing that he knows back here, but he's forgotten. He's let settle back into the recess of mind. He's going to grab this thing and pull it out in front, and he's going to remind himself of this. Here's the truth you got to know. Sometimes you have to be the best preacher you know. Sometimes you have to be the best one to preach the gospel to yourself. 
Sometimes you have to be the one who has to remind yourself, who has to proclaim the good news of the gospel, and maybe sometimes you even have to be the one that has to have an altar call for your own self. To remind yourself, this is what Jeremiah does. In the midst of two and a half chapters of all the morniness and the brokenness of this world, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions are new every morning. It is amazing. It is amazing what a single day with Christ can bring. A new morning with God in the midst of a cave of darkness and loneliness or in Jeremiah in the midst of a foreign land in brokenness and pain and anguish. There is a new day dawning. If there was anyone who knew what it meant to experience heartache and to live in a weary world, it was Jeremiah. And yet, he reminds himself of this truth that his compassions, God's goodness and kindness and love to us, never fail. Great is his faithfulness. So I want to look at three things that we see in this passage from Jeremiah, from Lamentations 3. Um, and if you're a note taker, you're going to love this because I got three points for you. Uh, so, he, so here's point number one, okay? About how in the midst of a weary world, we have hope, we have anticipation, excitement that, that God's doing something, and then it leads us to rejoicing. How in the midst of all this world that we live in, we can. And the first one is this is that Scripture teaches, Jeremiah shows us, the, the birth of Jesus shows us that a new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. A new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. Uh, recently, I was talking to a guy whose job is to sell motorcycles, and I asked him this question. I said, hey, so like with COVID and 2020 and the chaos and all that kind of stuff, like has it, has it made motorcycle sales go up or has it made motorcycle sales go down? Has it changed it? You know, I know that RV sales have just like skyrocketed, right? And so I asked him that and he said this. He said, Sean, here, here's the deal. Nobody needs a motorcycle. Nobody needs a motorcycle. You see, God's not always gonna provide what you want and God's not always going to, here's maybe even a more painful thing for us to recognize. God's not always going to provide what you need in the way you want it. But that a new day with Christ will bring exactly what you need. Remember Lamentations 3.24, it says this, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Now there's a lot of discussion about what Jeremiah is talking about right here in, in this statement, the Lord is my portion. But one of the great common understandings of it is that, um, uh, that he's, he's, he's alluding back to in Exodus, you know the story in Exodus, the people, the, the Israelite people are in captivity. God delivers them. He takes them through the Red Sea. He takes them out into the promised land to prepare them in the promised land for leading them into, uh, not in the promised land, in the wilderness. He prepares them in the wilderness for leading them into the promised land, into Jerusalem and Israel and that whole area, right? Well, when they go out into the wilderness, if you've ever been in the wilderness, there's nothing in the wilderness. That's why it's called 
the wilderness. There's no Chick-fil-A, there's no In-N-Out, there's no Winco, there's no Costco, there's nothing, right? There's nothing in the wilderness. And so God brings hundreds of thousands of people out into the wilderness, and day one, he begins to feed them. Now, uh, the Hebrew... The Hebrew, the thing that he feeds them shows up every morning. The Hebrew calls it manna. Here at MCC, we call it Krispy Kreme because they're the same thing, okay? It says that it was light, fluffy, and sweet. It's just Krispy Kreme. You just never get fat as much as you eat it, right? And so every single morning, God would provide. They'd wake up, and there'd be Krispy Kreme everywhere all across the ground, and they would collect what they needed for the day. But here's the crazy thing that God was trying to teach them. Remember, when they're in the wilderness, God's trying to form them, to teach them what it means to be his people, is that he would tell them that if you collect more than you need for the day, when you go to bed and you wake up the next morning, what you collected will be rotten and you will not be able to eat it. That every day, every day, don't worry about tomorrow, right? It might sound sound like something Jesus said. Don't worry about tomorrow. Every day I will provide just what you need. There comes a point where even the Israelite people are in the wilderness and God is providing them manna and they begin to complain because they want meat. God didn't give them what they wanted. He gave them what they needed. Jesus continues this. He says in the Lord's Prayer, he says that we should pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. For some of us, the most heartbreaking thing that we've been wrestling with this year is that we've been wanting God to give us our month's bread. We've been wanting God to give us this year's bread. But God is teaching every single one of us, just like he did the Israelite people when they were in the wilderness, to be dependent upon him every single day. And Jeremiah is saying that in the midst of a weary and broken world, I will rejoice because every single day, God is enough. That what you need for your marriage, that what you need with your kids, what you need in your career, what you need in your finances, what you need in your hopes, what you need in your purpose, what you need in yourself is the presence of God. That God is enough and he always has been. The, The second thing that we will learn from Jeremiah and Lamentations is this, uh, that a new day with Christ, it brings exactly what you need, but it also brings the hope to keep going. Remember verse 25, he says this, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Uh, Someone said this, and I, I, I seems to be true to me, is that they said that we as people, That we as people, we can live about 40 days without food. Some of you don't think so, but you can, right? Some of you are like, I can't go lunch without food, right? Um, 40 days. You can live about 40 days without food. You can live about eight days without water. Uh, You can live about four minutes without oxygen, but you can only live a few moments without hope. That Jesus, that a new day with Christ gives us the hope to keep going. Maybe one of the greatest lessons for many of us this year has been all the wrong places we've placed our hope. We, we, we never would have admitted it in 2019. As we stood on Christmas Eve and celebrated the incoming new year, we never would have admitted all the places that we found uh, validation and we found purpose and we found hope. And yet, all those things, so many of those things have been stripped away. And the question for us today, is Jesus still enough for us to have hope and rejoice? Hebrews 10, 
It says this, I love this verse, man, it's so good. It's, it's, it's almost like God inspired someone to write words because he was the God who formed us and he knows how we work. And so these words are like so true. I, I love this. He says this in the writer of Hebrews, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. You see, for many of us, we haven't failed to profess this year that our hope is in Jesus. But for so many of us, we've let go of our hope in Jesus. And instead, we've embraced the lies of Satan. We've embraced bitterness. We've embraced worry. We've embraced fear. We've embraced uh, um, uh, anger. We've embraced bitterness. But the writer of Hebrews is calling us to let go of the things of this world, to hold fast, to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, to the hope that we proclaim with our words, to hold fast to those things. There's a quote I had in my office for a long time, and it said, it said this, and I think it's applicable to 2020. It said, um, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people. That through pain and heartache, he might remove their hands from the things of this world and attach them to himself. See, what Jesus, what God has done for many of us this year is he's removed our hands from the things of this world. And the call of the writer of Hebrews is to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. But not just because you're impressive. Not because, because you are, you're impressive. I think you're awesome, right? Not because you're somehow anointed or special or better, but look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of not knowing what tomorrow holds, he is Faithful. One of my favorite verses, it says elsewhere, it says this, that when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Hold fast to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I think this is such, I mean, like, I just want to sit on this verse on Hebrews 10 because I think this is so important. Of all the things that we talk about today, I think this is so important because he, here's what I know. In having had conversations with people and just knowing the world that we live in, that there are a lot of people who are ready to give up hope. There are a lot of us who, 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 who this year, 2020, has probably been by far the most difficult year you've ever gone through. And, and you're holding on, whether with your marriage, with the relationship, with your children, with your finances, with your career, with, with your faith in Jesus, with yourself. You're holding on by a thread. And the writer of Hebrews tells us to hold unswerved because he is faithful. He, he, he um, if you've had a child before, you've had a sleepless night. Uh, my, my wife and I, about a year ago, got certified to do foster care, and um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing when you bring a baby into your house, because, you know, the smells aren't their smells, the, the noises aren't their noises, the space isn't their space, and, and, and babies are so sensitive to the environment that they're in that, that you can have a lot of nights where this, this little baby who's trying to adjust to a whole new family and a whole new rhythm and a whole new space is just, just kind of constantly unsettled. 
right? And so they're going to lead to a lot of nights where you spend a lot of night just sitting there holding this baby who just won't quite settle. And, and it can become really hard. Have you done this? When you're up with a baby and it's been an hour and a half or two hours or four hours and it's just pitch black outside and you're the only one sitting in a dark room holding this baby, it's like everything you can do to fight to hold yourself together and to keep your eyes open. But, but, have you been there? The moment the sun creeps over the horizon. Have you seen this? The moment the sun creeps over the horizon, everything, at least for me, everything changes. What seemed dark and hopeless and exhausting and so weary filled, uh, suddenly there is a vitality in life that's poured into me. And I just want to encourage you, to not lose hope because in the moment that Jesus is born, he sits in a nowhere town, in a nowhere place when God, according to the, the, the people of God, had been silent for 400 years. Not, 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 not kind of quiet, not a decade or two, but God had been silent for 400, for 400 years. They asked the question, God, what are you doing? And they screamed in the darkness and there was just silence. And with the screams of a teenage girl, all the hope of the Jewish people was coming to life, was coming true. In the midst of the darkness, a new day was dawning. And so this morning, if I can plead with you, don't give up hope, don't quit, don't tap out, don't cash it in. Just because you can't see doesn't mean that God's not doing something even this day. A new day with Christ. A new day with Christ, it brings what you're seeking. The help that you're seeking. Look, look at, again, at Lamentations 3, verse 26. He says this, It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This was Jeremiah's hope. In the midst of terrifying and difficult and heartbreaking circumstances that God would save, that he was the God who delivered, that he was the God who redeemed, that he is the God who restored. And some of you, even this morning, you know you need the salvation of the Lord for your soul. You know that you need God to redeem and restore. You need God to, 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 to save your soul some of you have already come into the family of God and there's a circumstance, just like Jeremiah, where, where the world's painful and broken and, and there's heartache and there's difficulty and there's mourning. And as Jeremiah says, that it, it, it crushes your soul. And your cry this morning is for the salvation of the Lord from that situation, from that circumstance. And I want to encourage you all the more today that a single day with Christ can change everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's what Lazarus would say. You know Lazarus, right? Lazarus who is dead. What's this, what's this say about Lazarus's life that the most important thing we know about Lazarus is that he was dead, right? Probably not a very eventful life. But I guess if you were dead and then you're not dead, that's pretty eventful too. And so Lazarus was dead. And Lazarus was, Lazarus was dead dead. Right? I mean, he'd been dead for four days. He was dead. They wrapped him. They put him in the ground. They put a stone in front of him. He was dead. In fact, uh, one, one commentary pointed out that you are dead if the King James says that uh, Lazarus 
he stinketh, right? Like that is, and not junior high stinketh, like dead people stinketh. That's a different kind of stinketh, right? And uh, he's dead, dead. And Jesus shows up and he walks up to the tomb and he looks at the stone and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus would tell you that in the midst of four days dead in the ground, that a single day with Jesus can change everything. Think about, there's a woman, Scripture says that she had the issue of bleeding for 12 years, and we can surmise what that is, but here's what we know. It wasn't pleasant. It led to a lot of isolation. It led to a lot of rejection for 12 years, and maybe this has been a hard year for you, and I do not in any way want to diminish it, and maybe it's been a hard couple years for you, but I would venture to guess that for most of us, it hasn't been 12 years of rejection and isolation and brokenness and pain and agony and over 4,000 days waking up every morning thinking, is this going to be the day? And how many times, think in 12 years, how many times the wave of despair had settled over her? But she meets Jesus and she touches Jesus and in a moment, She's healed, and all the agony of 12 years is wiped away. There's a man, he's 38 years old, he's unable to walk, he lays by a pool called Bethesda, and Jesus walks up to him and he says this, he says, get up, your, get up pick up your mat, and walk. And that guy would tell you, just like Lazarus, just like the woman with the issue bleeding, that a single day... Don't give up that a single day that you may not see it, but a single day, maybe the most unexpected day, but a single day in a nowhere place, in a painful and broken world, a single day with Christ can change everything. Change everything. Maybe this morning, it's not just the weariness of this world that has you down but it's the weariness of your own life. And I want you to know, just like Jeremiah believed, that, that, that just like uh, Lazarus would tell you, that just like the woman with the issue of bleeding, just like all, so many people all throughout Scripture, that just because you can't see it doesn't mean that God's not doing something, that a single day with Christ can change everything. That's that's our hope. That's what we celebrate. That's what we rejoice over. That a single day in a nowhere town, in a nowhere place, with people that nobody knew, Joseph and Mary, nobody cared about them. But in a single night, in a single moment, in that holy night, there was a thrill of hope as the Son of God was born. As Eugene Peterson wrote in his translation of the Bible, he, he, he said this, he said, he said, God put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, and that changed everything. Romans 13 says this. This may be a favorite verse for some of you now. After this, Romans 13, it says this. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night the darkness, the weariness, the brokenness, the pain, the agony is nearly over. And the day is almost here. The night is nearly over. And the day is almost here. This morning, 
this morning. May we be a people who wait with anticipation, with hope, with excitement, maybe even with rejoicing in the midst of the weariness and the brokenness of this world. Because he who promised is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That in the most unexpected moments, Jesus changes everything. That a single day with Christ can change everything. And it can for you today too.